Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. Today, my guest is Oscar Naval. Born in the US, Oscar grew up in San Francisco. He started his career in Silicon Valley, working in digital electronics and as an engineering consultant, founding his own consultancy. Then in 2000, Oscar came on holiday to WA and never left. Since then, he's had a variety of roles, including science interpreter at the World of Energy in Fremantle and lecturer in IT. Then, after speaking with other parents of children who went to the same school as his son, Oscar discovered that he was not alone in noticing that kids play games with computers, but do not understand or appreciate what makes them work. From this, he created Gizmo Cats, focusing on educating children to become confident, adaptive creators of technology and not just users of technology. Oscar, welcome to the show. Thank you. Cool. So um, what was it like growing up in San Francisco? What was it like growing up? um, California. Growing up in California. uh, You know, it's sort of like wherever you grow up, that's what you're used to. So what do you compare to as you're growing up? (laughs) I grew up actually in the Mission District of San Francisco, which at the time was not really a, uh, what you'd call a real flash neighborhood. It was, uh, my mother was a nurse with San Francisco General Hospital, and she worked like an emergency. And in San Francisco, in the, we're living in, at San Francisco General, and where she worked, she worked working in emergency. She sees well, quite a number of gunshots, for example, right. that are actually around, a lot would be around in our neighborhood. So to me, I thought it was just normal he growing up and hearing gunshots every once in a while in the Mission District. And the Mission, of course, is uh, essentially the Latino area of uh, San Francisco. Um, I grew up essentially like middle, middle class, uh, but my wife, my, my, my wife, ooh, Freudian slip. <laughs> my, my, uh, at the time, my, my mother was working at, um, uh, with the San Francisco General and doing all those things. And growing up there was, um, having to deal with the, at the time, a lot of changes going on because it was already in the 1970s, um, you know, late 60s, early 70s, and things were changing. Technology, this is before personal computers were around. And education at the time in us was pretty much what it's always been for years and years and years. And um, it was nice. Uh, what I do notice living here in WA, it's, it reminds me a bit of California because of mm. the, especially the wider pe- weather patterns being on the west coast of uh, Australia. So, yeah. So, so did you know much about Australia? When you're growing up, actually, no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, other than what you learn in school, that it's you know, they learn it. It's another. You know, at the time, they said it's one of the continents in in, in the world, and it's yeah, that's a continent, that's a country at the same time. And that, that was about all I remember when I was growing up in uh, primary school, elementary school in in the in the U.S. So, mm. so how did you end up here? How did I end up here? And how did you pick WA as a holiday destination? Well, there's, there's a lot of little steps along the way, or a lot of different steps along the way. One was the fact that um, uh, I was working and living in Silicon Valley in San Jose, you know, Cupertino area. I had actually lived, and one of my jobs was actually working as a consultant with Apple Computer at the time. I was living in Cupertino because I literally could walk to the Apple campus mm. at the time. But that was around the time after Steve Jobs was fired. Right. And um, everyone was saying, oh, Apple, oh, I'll never be a you know, co- company that's going anywhere else. Oh, it's a terrible company to work for. And, of course, now we know it's one of the 
most <laughs> revenue, most profitable country, companies in the world. Anyway, um, uh, the steps were uh, actually getting burned out as a, as an engineer because it's very. And when I, one of the first things I remember coming to Australia, where it says all these full-on Americans, and I had to learn what, what you meant by full-on. And as a full-on American, I realized it's one of the things I was leaving back in the U.S. It was a lot of, it was, it was normal to work 24-7. It's just, especially out of Silicon Valley, a lot of startup companies, a lot of people um, working just all the time. It was just the normal thing to do. Mm. And, you know, you, you hear about these other countries where you actually got more than two weeks holiday every year. I thought, oh, wow, that's great. You get more than two weeks off a year you do for paid holiday, paid vacation. Um, <clears throat> anyway, long story short, got burned out a bit from Silicon Valley. Uh, started looking at other things, started to, I guess, find my path, you know, way of the peaceful warrior. I remember reading Dan Millman and all those sorts of things and trying to find who I was at the time. Um, traveled around quite a bit. I started, you know, growing up and then did the full uh, thing you should do, go to school, um, you know, go to university, go to college, go to university and um, study to do real uh, do your work and get a job and do that. But I never yeah. traveled. I never even took a year off like a lot of some kids did. You know, they get their year out pass and go over all over Europe and that sort of thing. I never did that. I just went straight into the workforce. So pretty much I got burned out. I ended up uh, getting interested in scuba diving. I ended up diving scuba diving in Florida, became a scuba instructor, a paddy scuba instructor, and uh, basically was diving. And I worked in, and then I ended up living in Hawaii for a bit, um, scuba diving instructor. And then a friend from Intel had his 10 year um, sabbatical coming up at Intel. And, you know, if you work 10 years at Intel, basically you got three months off, totally paid, and you could do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So I said, Oh, let's go somewhere. And I was at the time I was living in Hawaii, he calls me up and says, Oh, let's go scuba diving. And he said, Where? And I said, Let's go to the Barrier Reef in Australia. And I thought, Oh, great. It's- Seems like a pretty fun thing to do. So we went scuba diving in the Barrier Reef. Uh, long story short, I was on the East Coast. I spent my first in year 1999 to 2000, the millennium, uh, in Byron Bay. And uh, I was actually helping out in the Byron Bay Parade. I helped them do all the electrical wiring for all their little costumes, but it rained a bit that evening. I ended up running some of the theatrical lights. And so at midnight of the millennium turned, I was up on the top of this tower and could see all the stages around me. I could look down the beach and see all these people wow. jumping in the water and, and turn them at night. So that was pretty cool. <clears throat> um, anyway, long story short, ended up coming to WAM and ended up meeting my wife um, here. And uh, when did I first meet her? Actually, it was January of 2000 when I first met her. And we got to know each other. Um, and that's how I ended up here and ended up getting, getting married in 2003 having our child, first, our only child, our son, Mike, at, uh, in 2005. So. Superb. Oh. And uh, never had the desire to go back or happy here? Well, <clears throat> it's it's a mixed thing. It's like I certain things I miss, certain things I, I'd like to go back and see again. I mean, currently I think of like a lot of the opportunities, um, you know, uh, the economy now in WA is not as strong as it used to be with, and it's all tied to mining. Everything's mm-hmm. some sort of relation to mining. If you look at all the, the career, I guess, career statistics in WA, the, you know, there's mining, there's uh, healthcare, there is education, um, and the government related types of, uh, careers. Um, but 
thinking about the things I miss in the U.S. is uh, yeah. <laughs> a good Mexican restaurant. I can't get good because growing up in California, it's, mm. uh, <laughs> and especially growing up in the Mission District, I was very used to having really good Mexican food, <clears throat> mm. which I can't seem to get here. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, obviously, from the introduction, science, technology, engineering, and maths, that's a big part of um, your story. Where Where does that come from in your journey? How did I really get involved with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, growing up, um, my brother became an electrical engineer. Essentially, I probably followed his lead, and he became an engineer, and he you know, first worked at Lockheed Space, uh, Lockheed in, in Silicon Valley. And, and then later on when I went to school, and then I went to San Francisco State University studying engineering technology. And at the time, there wasn't a computer science department. It was just a little side thing off of the maths, uh, mathematics, school of uh, science, school of mathematics, I believe it was. Um, and so there, there was no real computer science at the time uh, mm. in terms of uh, real, at least at San Francisco State University at the time. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I got an interest, but I was really interested in the, the, the at the time that the brand new coin-operated video game was Pong. Yes. It was like, oh, this is pretty cool. You know, how does this work? And you know, I'm trying to understand how the digital technology at the time was where it would work. And, of course, this is before Apple mm. uh, when I first saw that, and it was before uh, the personal computer. But I was lucky enough at the high school I went to, they were promoting the idea, well, this is going to be the future. Computers are going to be around and we'll be doing things. So we had a teletype machine that was tied into a, PDP 11, or I've forgotten what the, the the computer was, but it was the old teletype machine. So it would be spitting out paper and you could hear yeah. the typewriter typing away and you'd type in basic programs. And that was the first thing I learned was, was doing that. So that's how I got interested in that. And then of course, my brother became an electrical engineer and I started getting interested in also not only the programming aspect, but you know, what's making this programming stuff work. So what's the hardware behind it? Mm. Yeah, so. So can you tell me a bit more about Gizmo Cats, what it is, what it does, what it's focused on? Yeah. I think it's uh, the, the journey has been a long changing journey because I've done different things in my life, uh, different careers and that. And Gizmo Cats I just started last year. Um, basically at uh, the third term the, in July, there was the school holidays programs I started doing. And I started doing it because I started literally having, I was sitting around, I think, at the sail and anchor at Freeman, Fremantle with a bunch of other fathers who my son went to school with in primary school. And of course, their kids went off to different schools besides mine uh, to go to a, a high school. And um, we're just chatting about the fact that our kids are, you know, playing games all the time. They're always trying to get them off the computer, trying to get them off the iPads, trying to get them off playing yeah. computer games. It's like, well, why don't you do something and interact? And I'm a, I'm a big advocate about, you know, that computer time is not a something that's, even though I'm pro on teaching technology, I think there needs to be a real balance mm. and getting the kids to do other things. So um, anyway, what we've noticed, they sit there as users, but they didn't know anything about how the computer worked, how the actual technology worked what's the programming behind it all those things about uh, the physical aspects of the computer to the logical computing mm. programming procedures that are programmed inside these computers um 
in thinking about this, I just flashed on the idea of thinking about when Steve Jobs was being interviewed and he was interviewed about when I think it was when the first iPhone came out and he said, well, what do your kids think about it? And he said in an interview, he said, my kids haven't even seen it. And he, this is Steve Jobs. And the, the fact was he limited the kids time on the computer. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's really good. The fact here's a guy head of, you know, one of the biggest technology companies in yeah. the world. And yet he, he, he had limited time that he had his kids because he wanted them to go out there and dig holes in the backyard and climb the trees and do other things. So I, they, I, I'm an advocate of the fact that there needs to be a balance in that. That said, there's also the fact that um, you know, from talking to the parents and talking to other friends and things that uh, our kids don't know how these things work. You know, when we were growing up, and especially like for me, technology, mm. I mentioned my brother was an, uh, became an engineer. One of the things we used to do, we used to go through the rubbish bins behind the old TV repair shops just to take all, all the junk to see what, what these things were and to try to, what can we use them for? What can we do? And just cut them up and, yeah. you know, what kids do. They t- uh, At least when I was growing up, kids used to do is take stuff apart and try to put them back together again. You know, things that worked or things that were broken, it doesn't matter. You just take it apart and put it back together. And I think there's been a loss with that, with this, at least I see with our generation of kids that are growing up, they don't have that kind of hands-on sorts of things. Mm. They're, they're, they're great at users of technology, but they're not really digging and asking the questions. Why does this work? Why does this do this? What it does? Uh, that sort of thing. So, so what, what would a, like a typical course or session look like? Well, one of the gizmos I started off with doing, of course, is using a Raspberry Pi computer. Of course, this is audio and no one can see it, but I brought one of them. Uh, but anyone can Google raspberrypi.org and you'll see it's actually one of the, out of the UK, it's the number one top selling computer of all times from the UK mm-hmm. ever. And the reason it was they originally thought, oh, they'd make about 2,000 of them and they'll sell it for education. The whole reason it was developed was for educating kids and getting people interested in in learning more about the physical aspects of computing. Mm. Now, when I say physical computing, physical computing, I need to define that as the fact that it's not just writing programs and making things move behind it, but learning how does it interface to the real world? Like how do the buttons and lights work? How does that actually control it? So you see the screen and you may write a program that could make, make games. Well, what if you wanted to interface to your garage door interface to the house or you know the internet of things or anything mm. else that are out uh, outside of the computer how does that all connect and i that's one of the things with the raspberry pi computer was that it was allowed people because it's a, it is a full-blown computer there's a complete uh, linux based operating system on it and it allows you then to um, program and wire in things in and out of the board directly right um, so they could again for kids especially if you just the fact that you can complete a circuit and, the, and you know, this I saw and from doing this class, uh, one of the things I first do is first see what they know in programming because it's the easy part of mm. at least something on the screen. Uh, later sessions of the class would actually then say, well, what is electricity? What is a complete circuit? And then I talk to the kids about, for example, one of the things I always throw out is have you ever played the time zone in a race car and, those little race car games. What do they call those things? Well, they race course circuits, and the fact that it's a complete circle and how it actually flows all the way mm. around. So I'm trying to get them involved with how electronics work, uh, with things that they can relate to. 
So, you know, complete a circuit. Complete a circuit with your race car in, in time zone. Well, you can do the same thing with a little light or something. You can yeah. wire it in and you, um, the other analogy, of course, is water. It's a flow of water. What do you call a stream when it's moving? It's a current. Well, that's what the term they use for electricity because it's actually the same thing. Mm. It's the movement of water. Well, it's the movement of electricity or electrons, uh, in this case, down a wire rather than water down a creek. So, you know, I try to relate it to, to the real world. And then have the kids then wire things together and make a light go on, hmm. a little LED light go on. If they could do that, then the next thing is to wire the LED light in the computer and then actually program, write a program to make it blink, you know, twice a second or once every two seconds or do something. And it's it's, it's also building it around what they're interested in. Um, and of course, most kids are interested in video games. So one of the things in this class, actually this term, uh, just based on what the kids are interested in, I talk to them, you know, what, what games are you playing? Or if they're not playing these games, uh, how would you like to then make, uh, as you're making this pong game or this ball bounce or whatever it is on, on the screen or this character chasing that character? Every time it catches that character, make one of the lights go on or have a switch. We wire a switch outside that will actually then control the video game character inside the computer right. so, so that way they get both input and output devices the concept of input and out devices as well as on the programming aspect hmm. especially for younger kids um i don't know many uh, you know it depends on parents i talk to some parents and educators and, and teachers may or may not know of course there's the scratch programming which is block programming and what they've done with the raspberry pi is the fact that they have a what's known as an API or application programmer's interface from scratch, which is simple block programming. You draw blocks visually on the screen that has procedures like, you know, forever repeat three times, forever repeat if this thing happens or if this button's pushed or if this key's pressed, make this light go on. You can mm. draw a little flow chart with graphics. But there's also an API, which means then you could then uh, – have this interface to actual physical wiring on the board. Hmm. So the kids could actually then draw stuff up, um, make lights flash, that sort of thing, and then wire it out and make a circuit. Uh, and a lot of times I try to connect it to a game. Like the easiest thing, of course, is you have an external game controller, which uh, one of the things I do for the school holiday programs is have them actually make a working push button. So the working push button then becomes the game controller to make this character running back and forth the screen, or a control space invaders where you push the pay this little button, which is actually made out of just some wire paper plate and some aluminum foil mm. and you push it. And of course, when the circuits closed, it makes the little spaceship and space invaders shoot or the uh, asteroids thing shoot. So it's a little, little control button for that. So those are some of the things I could do in, in the class with the kids. But I think the main thing with, especially for education with kids, I, as a school holiday programmer after school, I don't want the kids to feel like they're at school. <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> so a lot of times I have to stop myself from lecturing and just really talk to the kids. And I, all my classes are kept small. I don't go bigger than six, six in a students uh, in a class. And if I do go beyond that, I'll have uh, some student teachers. I'm talking to different student teachers like at Murdoch University who are studying education to become teachers. And anyway, <clears throat> the point is I keep the class small and I talk to them on a one-on-one -on -one level. Um, 
another thing I've discovered or just observed as an observation of education in general, our education system is so far behind in that the fact that not just in Australia, but all around the world, the school systems are basically the same. It was invented for the industrial revolution mm-hmm. where they want to uh, <clears throat> essentially make good workers. So the good workers would then know, be able to work in factories and put that one bolt on. So they'd ring, ring the bell to, to start work. You ring the bell to stop work, to take a break, which is essentially the model which they followed in the school system. Mm-hmm. And they also modeled it by batches, just like you'd be a manufacturing force. So instead of batches of uh, widgets they're manufacturing, you have batches of kids of the same age or relative same age group go through this conveyor belt process, so to speak, of education. But as human beings and as children, no kid, two kids are the same. <clears throat> so my point is, is when I work with the kids, I try not to have them feel like they're in school, but actually ask them, what do they like to do? Try to find out where their interests lie. Uh, one of the kids that ta- uh, that's in my class now, he does loves drawing. So I'm trying to inter- introduce the fact that, of course, he does you know art on the computer. You could draw the art, but then animate the art using these programs. So you draw this character and he makes little nets to catch the ball. So he draws, he's sitting there drawing this whole thing with a net to catch this little ball he drew. And, and then, of course, you make the ball bounce around and you try to catch it with this net with some controller he's done or some keys he's programmed on the, on the, for the keyboard to control these characters. So, again, it's, again, trying to make it um, much more customized for the individual hmm. students. I like that because it's interesting. I, I've often thought that <clears throat> sometimes we can get carried away with technology in itself um and and often you know i can find people who have bits of technology because the technology exists rather than sitting back and going well what is it i actually want to do uh what is the problem i'm trying to solve what is the creative expression that i want to express and then it's almost like the technology is almost like the last bit of enabling that and sometimes uh, um i feel like we lose track of where that sits in this process. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Perfect sense. Um, <clears throat> I think I believe also with our education system and not just in Australia, Australia in itself is actually behind in terms of technology compared to a lot of other first world nations uh, in terms of technology. But education in general, they take on technology, but not necessarily use it appropriately, or I should say to its fullest advantage. Uh, case in point, I remember st- talking to a teacher and saying, well, you know, they're requiring my son or myself to buy my son this laptop computer. It's required for school now. And I said, well, what are you doing with it? And, you know, I see some things are really creative, what some of the teachers are doing and trying to uh, use inter- internet and do uh, certain things. But I, one of the questions I've asked is, is there a formal programming class in the school? And he said, no. I said, okay, is there like code clubs? No. And this is not, I don't want to name schools, but there's always, I've asked several parents this, and there's different levels. Some schools are a little further ahead than others. But again, it's the point that the school has to then take the technology and use it appropriately. Um, So getting back to the idea of having to uh, have the student or my son, in this case, own this tablet, this uh, 
Surface Pro laptop. And I'm thinking, well, what are you using it for? Well, they're writing reports or they're drawing things with it. And I started thinking to myself, for that part of it, why spend $1,500, over $1,000 for this tablet where I could give you a package of a biro for a couple yeah, <laughs> a couple bucks with some colored pens and paper. <clears throat> and you're actually getting more out of it with textile touch with the pens and paper. And it's only costing me $10 versus over $1,500 for this piece of technology. So they... And I understand. I have to. When I sit back, I, I think of that as a parent. I'm thinking, why am I spending this fifteen hundred dollars rather than yeah. have them just have a pen, couple colored pens and paper? I think, okay, well, the point of technology today is where we are. Is one is the teachers still have to now substitute what they're doing before? So they're they're the process of substituting the technology uh, into what what needs to be done with what they're doing in the classroom. Which is not really bumping it on like you suggested earlier on, is it? No. So they, they need to be able to then take the technology and use it appropriately, you know, beyond just like maybe doing reports. So obviously, um, you know, if they're using a word processor and they're typing away and it does self-correction. Now, obviously, when they're doing self-correction, the students don't have to think about it. I, I just think of myself when... Uh, I used to be much better at my English grammar and spelling and 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 all that. Sentence yeah. structure is still sentence structure, but the point is, my spelling started becoming worse after the technology became along because I didn't care. Yeah. I knew as I type, it would actually fix it up. Yeah, you know, and correct my words. Red and line and tell red me. line, and, and then if, and then then I could do <clears throat> a review with it and do the review and do a whole you know. Tracking changes and share with people, and which is great for the technology, but I, I, at the kids' level, I'm thinking, no, I think they should at least learn the basics of spelling. Yeah. You need to ground the basics in yes. before you get yeah. to the point. <clears throat> I've, I've often thought the same with math, maths, and mathematics. In that, um, you know, I grew up having to physically work <laughs> out you know, long multiplication, long division, know my times table, this, that, and the other. And it was only after you demonstrated all of that were we allowed a solar-powered calculator. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And um, that's where I'm surprised. Like, I, like some of the kids I talk to, I ask them, what are you learning in school now? And some of them aren't even learning some of these basic things. Or they are, at least from what they tell me, they've not learned, mm. you know, these things about, um, yeah, they understand the basics, numerics, Obviously, this, you know, they had a count and that sort of thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm seeing it's now learning to apply, like, the use of angles, for example, or the use of some geometry. And that's necessary in a video game. You know, if I talk to a kid who, you know, wants to make this character, and I said, oh, this control, I make the character, and he's moving back and forth, left and right across the screen. And I want him now to bounce off a uh, go up in this direction, this other direction. And I say, well, that's a, you have to know that's a different angle, and then I have to then explain what an angle. And so the the the, the student or this child would then say, well, what is an angle? Can you show me how to make these angles work? So now they're applying it. You know, if you think in school, how many teachers are asked, or maths teachers asked, please, sir, can you teach me what an angle is? Mm. The odds are they. I don't think they actually <clears throat> hear that from a student. I don't know because I'm. I, I'm not a, I've never been raised, my background's engineering. But when I talk to the kids and they ask me that question, they're asking, asking how to apply this angle. 
So instead of knowing, you know, to memorize the Pythagorean theorem, a c squared equals yeah. a squared plus b squared, and what does that all mean? It's like, well, you're going off this angle. Well, how do you make it bounce off? Well, here, here are the angles, and this is what yeah. it's about. And uh, usually with kids, yeah. So it's a little bit of physics and maths. So especially the younger kids who are still learning about, it, I just give them the old, you know, you have a pizza and you cut it into 360 pieces, and if if this the top point is the first piece, and you go all the way around 360 pieces, how many pieces would it be uh, when it's pointing this way or pointing down? Oh, that'd be 180. So they'd have to think about those things. Mm. As they're, as they're they're doing it, so so anyway, yeah, like making the character bounce off at a different angle, and video games are a perfect way of doing it because kids are going to be playing it anyway. It's it's going to happen no matter what if I'm yeah. here or not, or someone's showing, they're going to be interested in it because it's out there. That's what they're seeing now. That the technology's yeah. there, and they're buying these like, games. They're getting it for Christmas, and they're playing video games. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And I suppose I like the fact that it, it makes them think about how reality actually sort of works hmm. and then mirroring that. Yeah, yeah. And bringing alive things like physics, maths. Well, that's why I think one of the you know, <clears throat> uh, popular games, the younger kids who are started, you know, and years ago, of course, when it first came out was Minecraft. Minecraft, of course, is a virtual world where they build virtual a virtual world, you know, they're on an island, they're on a desert, they're they, and they put up trees, they build houses, they build things, and then they can make these characters interact in Minecraft in this virtual world. Well, I look at it as okay, there's a virtual world, now how can we bring that back to the real world? Hmm. So uh, even when I was explaining how to program, now this is when we were growing up in maths, you had to learn the Cartesian coordinate system. Now, you tell that to a kid, and of course, Cartesian coordinate system, and I, if I said that, their face would gloss over, they'd turn off and stop yeah. listening to me. But I, if I pull out my Minecraft sword and I say, okay, here's Steve, who's the Minecraft character, and Steve's going to walk three paces this way, two paces to the right, and he has to climb up this ladder 10, 10 paces or 10 blocks, mm. you know, what would that be from where he started? So instead of if, if he started at this point, let's call this point zero, 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 and he walks this mm -hmm. way and that way. So essentially he's walking X coordinate, Y coordinate, Z coordinate. So he's learning the Cartesian coordinate, but as long as I don't say Cartesian coordinates, yes. <laughs> you have to give it <laughs> he'll get the idea. But then when it comes up at school and he starts, he goes, Oh, that's just like Minecraft. So it's, <laughs> you try to get it the other way around. <clears throat> um, so what sort of impact are you seeing with the kids that you work with? The impact I see with the kids, I see um, a lot of them, um, again, there's, again, every kid's different. So some yeah. come in and they've done some program. They might have done some scratch in school. They might have been some sort of uh, um, part of uh, like Code Club Australia or Code or Dojo, which are free things that I could tell you right now. Anyone can go out there and there's plenty of libraries that are doing it around this area and all around Perth and they have code clubs. Um, and some are actually making big technology um, things in their library, which is great if they get the mm. funding through the council and that. Um, anyway, the point of it is that, yeah, some kids are have that experience. Some have absolutely no experience. So the impact I see is they have actually either gotten more interest to move forward from where they are to to another level of, 
oh, I could see how to apply this or, oh, this was fun. And that's, that's one of the things I always ask after class, did you have fun? And then I say, well, what was fun about it? And this is where I find out what they've learned. So in other words, I don't straight away and say, well, you know, was that a good lesson? Did you learn the yeah. Cartesian coordinate system? I'd never say a question. No, like no, that. no. But I'd say, well, did you have fun? And they'd say, yeah, I had fun. I said, what was fun about it? And then that's where I could see that, yes, they've, uh, what did they get out of it? They've now learned um, things like angles or they learned coordinates or, you know, the kids have not even done a lot of art on, on a computer. They started learning how to do basic painting with art. I noticed the older kids with our, it's really a show of how fast technology is moving. I noticed the older kids who are like um, 10 years, 11, 12, they know how to use a mouse. But I've noticed the seven, eight-year-olds have never even touched the mouse. And I have to explain how a mouse works and how it, you move this little device around. Because them. they're moving to touch screens. Yeah, because they're moving to touch screens. Mm. So, you know, that in itself was... Uh, for me, it was a learning experience and mm. that the younger kids and this younger gr group coming up, they're not even learning what a mouse is, which I could see ultimately this. Uh, yeah, the problem, I should say not the problem, but our education system is educating kids for jobs that are not going to exist in the future for technology that does not exist. Mm. And we can't even imagine what it's going to be. Mm. And we can make some guesses. Like, and like I could see what I'm, my point I'm trying to make is that I see things like a mouse and how people are interacting with the computer now with touch screens, there's going to be the point where it may just be gestures. Like you see with virtual, like some of the virtual reality things that are coming up where you just wave your hand and there'll be something in front of you that is in the virtual world hmm. of a menu. Um, <clears throat> the um, example, or I should say the fiction I'd like to always say about this is as I ask people, have they ever seen Minority Report? You know, yes. On uh, the movies, Minority Report with, um, what's his name now? Tom, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. And he's the Minority Report. And of course, he's sitting there, he's waving his hands. He never touches anything. And he's moving windows around in the uh, screen that's almost invisible in front of him. They show that technology, but that technology actually exists today. <laughs> so yeah. It just hasn't been mainstreamed yet. But I could see that's that may be the way we're going to go with with we're going to do our controls. Why, you know, why have a mouse? Why have mm. a touch screen? Why don't you just wave your hands around or make gestures with your hands? And of course, this vocal interface as uh, as well. You know, you have that with Alexa and Siri and that sort of thing already now. So between those two things, we may not even. I could see ultimately the mouse is going to be disappeared from computer. Yeah, uh, and who knows? Our computers won't look. Like we're, we're moving to you know our mobile phones. The way they work. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, there's interfaces now with the mobile phone you can attach and just do, again, gestures, mm. uh, that sort of thing, so instead of even touching it. So, anyway, I digress. So, how would you, <laughs> no, so, so how would you see um, science, technology, engineering, math? How do you see that ideally being taught in schools? Ideally? Yes. Well, again, getting back to the paradigm of which the school systems <clears throat> exist today, um, I have to say, first off, we have to change the paradigm completely of how the school system works. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the the whole idea of it's it's built on the industrial revolution, and in that you know you ring a bell, you show up, you sit down, and you look straight ahead, look at the teacher. The teacher says something, 
You're supposed to then absorb that knowledge and move on. But in the real world, and even when you talk to industry today, what are you supposed to do? You got to be able to talk to your neighbors and collaborate. When you go to school, they tell you, don't talk to your neighbors. Don't look at your neighbor's paper because that's yeah. cheating. And all the answers are here, but you have to get the answers from me. Well, that system's not going to work in the 21st century today, simply because industry needs people to be more creative. And being able to creative is not only being creative, but collaborative. So they mm. have to then talk to their neighbor, which, of course, in school is cheating. And usually in class, you're saying, no, shh, be quiet. Mm. Don't talk in class. We're doing our lecture. I don't think that's going to be yeah. <laughs> the way our kids are going to be educated in the future. Actually, I shouldn't say that in that way, that uh, myself, I see myself doing that now with what I'm doing. I'm, I want to move away from that paradigm and say, look, every person's individual, what are they interested in and how can we then bring out their own creativity? Mm. You know, maybe they may not be interested in doing technology. But this is a, at least a, uh, a framework that they can work with playing with the Raspberry Pi or, or technology gizmos. Yes. Where then they could find out what they're interested in and learn how to be creative with those pieces of technology and not necessarily have to um, memorize you know, this is the structure of how this thing works. and Because it's, it has to do with the actual creativity that they learn and, mm. and, and working with other people. Um, which brings us to the other point of technology. A lot of times we're in the most connected places we've ever been in terms of technology where we could talk to five people once in five different continents at any one time, yet we don't talk to each other as much as we used to. Mm. Uh, carry on a conversation like this. <laughs> you know, I'm just sitting here with you having a conversation. Yeah, it's like, exactly. yeah, how, how long have I, you know, when have I had a conversation like this in a while? Uh, it's a sort of thing where people are used to just getting out and writing an email, writing their little text messages, doing that sort of thing. But being able to sit down with someone and collaborate, that's a skill that has to be done or is necessary now in jobs of the future, in the careers of the future. Um, it, it, we don't want factory workers anymore. We don't want to be able to just ring a bell. They come in, punch a card. Yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm going to put chunk, this one chunk, 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 chunk do chunk. this one thing over and over again, repetitive mm. job. But our education system set up like that. You know, it's mm. set up where we say, okay, this is a math class. We're not going to talk about English. We're not going to talk about history. We're not going to talk about social science or politics. We're going to have to do math. Well, what is the context of doing math or the context of doing writing in the real world? You know, what, how do things actually connect and how do we converse with one another? Mm. How does this all connect? Um, it's a yeah. It's tricky because you know I went <clears throat> I I went away to school in England and I just sort of immersed myself in my lessons and what because I basically lived at school made at a boarding school. So I immersed myself in physics and chemistry and maths and English and stuff. And there's part of me that always gets irked a bit when we talk about education being the, almost like the the preparing ground for going to work as if we are being processed almost like battery hens. Yeah. And, and, and where is the, where is the, the true education to educate um, a child to expand their mind and be creative 
yet also collaborate and talk and deal with a whole lot of other things that go along. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's really true. And that when we were growing up, um, earlier, any, you know, before the millennials, the whole thing was you go to school, you get a diploma, you will get a job. Mm -hmm. It was just accepted. You know, well, if you didn't want to, if you didn't want to get a university degree, well, you could still work a vocation. You get a vocational job. Yeah. You could get some work and do vacation, vocational job. If you want to then get, you know, guaranteed in it, uh, guaranteed a job, well, you get a degree in something. Yeah. And you're guaranteed a job. There are college graduates today, (laughs) university graduates today who are still living at home. And they may have studied something. I don't. It doesn't matter what yeah. their their degree in. Riddled with debt. <laughs> Riddled with debt from edu- from the getting loans to go to, to university, but they can't get a job in what they've been educated mm. for. And that's the thing about our education. I feel with the education system is we need to prepare, especially our kids. And I think of my son and where he's where things are going to be. I don't know, and no one really can really truly predict. Yes, this is going to happen this year. This is going to happen this year. These things will be invented at this point, so we're going to change. There are so many disruptive technologies that are occurring and rapidly that things are not going to be the same that we might expect now. It's like, oh, I, I don't know what the latest statistic is, what uh, um, the average person was has like seven different careers now. And mm-hmm. I think the latest one is this next, the, the prediction is, uh, well, this next generation, they're going to have like 16 different careers. I, don't quote me on the numbers. Yeah. I don't know. What, but the point is, is that you have to be prepared to learn how to learn to move forward. If you've just been locked in to learn one vocation or one thing and not have the creativity to think outside of the box, think outside of the box, you will then be in trouble. <laughs> You'll be yeah. In, yeah. I just think of these people who are, you know, the, the biggest thing I, I'm wondering, society will always be holding back the technology for things that are very disruptive. And the one I'm thinking of right now is drivers. If you, if you're anything to do with driving, there's a lot of jobs where people are working to become a driver or they has to be part of their job to be a driver. Yeah. Everything from taxis to bus drivers to just getting or just commuting. Yeah. Well, that's going to disappear once everything becomes driverless. Mm. <laughs> you know, the, you can see that in WA with all the mining, with the trains. There's no one sitting on that, that train pulling those billions of dollars worth of resources on this train track. There's someone in Perth with re- doing remote control to bring this train down or doing this remote control to run this mining operation. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very few people down on a mine now digging with, with an axe. And actually, there's probably no one digging with an axe and shoveling anymore. Yeah. Pick and shovel into a miner. It's all done by some remote controlled robotic device. So. Again, a disruptive technology I see that we're uh, coming up is, is anything to do with driving. There's so many people who are now um, may have their jobs dependent on driving, but we're going to have to hold back the technology simply because where are they all going to go? Where, where are they, they all going to go? We have you know these a lot of people, and when I say disruptive technology, you just think of something like uh, the communi- communications industry, Telstra, and, and you know. In the U.S., AT and T, and all these phone companies, it was uh, the. I remember reading or seeing the statistics at the time. There was like that industry was like thirty-seven billion dollars. Then this free thing came along called Skype. Yes, and Skype 
made about or disrupted that $37 billion industry to the, down to a $2 billion industry. So where did that difference of $35 billion go? It was not necessary because this new disruptive technology called Skype took it over. Mm. And of course, you know, there's Skype and there's, you know, you have WhatsApp on your phone, you have Facebook, you have all these messenger, they have things now that why do you need a telephone line? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there was this huge industry. So that's a huge, that's an example of very disruptive technology because it disrupt, you know, if you think about it, that was a huge industry. Yeah. Where is it now? Yeah, uh, you know, there's the, the what's the, you know, years ago we used to say about the technology changing. Well, you know, long, long playing records, vinyl records, and then we went to tapes and CDs, and now you just download an MP3 file. Yeah, that's a very disruptive technology. What happened to all the workers who had to press vinyl records? What happened to all the workers who had to press, you know, CDs? CDs? Yeah, that whole industry, and then of course when they were becoming basically robotic, you know, robots probably did most of the work, but they still had somebody doing something and doing this stuff out. But now why? Yeah. <laughs> the technology has moved so fast and so far in the last 30 years. Is it 30 years? I'm just trying to think. Yeah. When was the last time I actually saw a vinyl record and having to think about, oh yeah, the diamond head needle that had to make yeah. my well-balanced turntable work with this record. You know, I talked to my son about that. He doesn't know what the hell I'm talking yeah. about. They're making a little <laughs> bit of a comeback, apparently, but it will never be the comeback. No. The comeback. Well, you know, more the, novelty. Yeah, it's a novelty thing. It's no longer mainstream. So, but a, a main, you know, vinyl records was a mainstream technology. Mm. It's not anymore. Like I'm saying, like phone lines, that was a mainstream tech. Everybody had it, but why? Mm. You don't need it anymore. This is kind of scary for us as humans, then, isn't it? What well, are we going to do? How are we going to earn a living? Well, this is why uh, getting back to the education side exactly. is I this generation of kids, because, again, we're seeing, with, of course, all the unemployed people with, with advanced degrees. They're, <laughs> they're not getting work in what they thought they'd be getting work in. It, they have to learn to be thinking out of the side of the box, be more entrepreneurial and thinking about how to actually monetize something that they're doing. And I, <laughs> and just meeting you, Brent, I'm thinking to myself, when I first heard what you're doing, I'm thinking, okay, you're monetizing something or doing something that's outside of the box. Essentially, you're doing your own podcast, your own broadcast, which 30 years ago was unheard of. Couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. But now the technology is here to do this. Because, uh, yeah, we're, this is a perfect example. This is communication. This is a communication stream where before you had to have a radio station to do this. Yeah, now I, now that I have simple channels on the internet that I can upload this. And I go. Well, that's why, you know, you think about television and TV. They all had to switch to something because kids today, again, my son, we don't, they don't talk about TV programs. They talk about what they've seen on YouTube. Yeah. Or Netflix. Or, <laughs> or Netflix or something. Well, Netflix is probably the closest thing now to television. Yeah. But, I mean, YouTube has, has brought it down that anyone could be their own video, their own uh, television station. Hmm. And, and there are. I mean, you can look at YouTube. There's literally millions of television stations now because all of these individuals are doing this. And, and like yourself, there's millions of radio broadcasters now doing whatever they're doing, uh, broadcasting or talk shows or whatever. It's it's it's, uh, it's just the way the technology's gone. Mm. So do you? So I guess um, 
there's, there's still a part of me that is, I don't know, maybe because I'm 43 and I, and, and I, and I found a great romance in some of the education that, uh, that I had in terms of, um, it's, it's not, you know, I, I, I studied things like physics. Um, and it's not that I become a physician, but there's a lot of critical thinking that I took out of that, which I apply every day now. And, um, yeah, I just, I just wonder where, where that is in all of this. Yeah. Well, that's, but then, you know, there's the arts part where you just think very emotively and, and, and let your brain go everywhere. I think that's important as well. Um, we get anesthetized. I mean, if you think about being anesthetized with the way things work versus the aesthetic part of it is, is doing the arts and doing yes. research. And what you're talking about, the cr- critical thinking and creative thinking comes out of you've, when you're going to school, you really got into like physics and maths mm. and English and history or whatever. But then you start thinking about how you could actually create something out of it. But today the kids, they're brought up with YouTube and mobile phones and apps. Mm. Again, that's not going to go away. Yeah. So we can't go back. We can't turn can't the clock back. back. If this is the way it is, how can we move forward with the way the technology is? Mm. I think that's important that they do things like they learn how to be creative. Even the kids, I I don't think every one of the kids I do with Gizmo Cats is going to become an engineer or become an electronics engineer or mm. programmer. That's not the point. Mm. The point is, is they learn whether they are interested in that too, but they learn things like skills of creative thinking. I think they should learn things of collaborating with the other kids. Like I try to, well, it's funny. Sometimes I have to tell the kids to talk to each other. You know, they're sitting there and this, they're trying to just focus on the screens. Just stop looking at the screens. Why don't you share what you're doing? And, and part of what I do is at the end of the, like a after school term, I have the kids share what they're doing. And I actually asked the parents to come in so they could actually do a show of what they're doing so they could present things that they do so they could learn a little bit more about or experience presentation of something that they made and they could get excited about then and then actually work with each other and do those things and mm. that makes yeah because yeah. i really like this 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 focus on creating rather than consuming it's you know too often we end up consuming through technology just mindless endless information and et cetera, et cetera, but to actually create and come outside of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, technology is neutral. It's what we do as a society. That, that's I where, like that. that's where things, you know, you, you think a lot of people are right now, the, the talk about Facebook. Oh yeah. You know, Cambridge analytics, it's bad. It's no, that's just what they use the technology for. Sure. Yeah, and I see people. I mean, to this day, I used to, I always got a kick out of when I used to have to commute to Perth from Fremantle. I'd get on the train, and I'd have my paperback book, paper. Yeah, and I remember looking up and down the train, always looking up and down the train, and seeing everyone with the earphones on, or maybe not earphones, but all of them are looking at a tablet or a screen or their phone. Everyone. <laughs> I used to get a kick out of it because I'd be, "What's wrong with me? I have a paperback book." Yeah. <laughs> You know, I didn't pull out my phone to do that. I just said no. There's, I, that was my personal choice to have the balance. Yeah. But what I what I did see as a as a culture, a society, 
there's a huge number of consumers here. I'm the one out of literally hundred looking down the just one train, you know, yeah, with train car looking up and down. I'm thinking, you know, hundred people. Like, I'm one of the only persons with a paperback book. Yeah, everyone else has either a Kindle, which is okay. They're reading. They're, they're using a Kindle instead of uh, a book, but they're, they're all either that or most of them I see are scrolling or they're doing something. So they're doing Facebook or they're doing yeah. Something. So they're using the technology as users, um, and they're consuming. Mm. So I see this huge number. You know, I'm consuming my paperback book. True, but the point is that um, are you are you a more mindful consumer. I, I'd like to think <laughs> in, so. In that, in that, I'd in. like to think I am a little more mindful about it. But I, I think that's true about our kids too. In that, they it's good that they learn how to consume because we're not, we can't turn the clock back. No, but. I think it's important they learn what's under the hood. And, you know, the yeah. analogy, of course, again, I, I see under the hood. You know, when we were growing up, I used to go and open the, the bonnet, the hood of my car. <laughs> yeah. The bonnet. And I used to look inside and I used to change the spark plugs. I used to change my own oil. I used to, you know, especially when I first got my first car, of course, it was a wreck of a car and I had to fix it up. You know, I had to get it all tuned. I had to learn about distributor and points and I had to learn how the car and how the engine actually worked. Yeah. Because if I, at least I did the basics, so then I could do the maintenance of the car. Because um, I didn't really have, you know, the money to just buy it and then pay some mechanic to do it. No, I had to do it myself. And most of us, I think in my generation, your generation, probably were doing that. You'd yeah. look and see what's under the hood. Tinker. Tinker with it. Um, and as, with this technology, people have become consumers because the cost of the technology is, is cheaper. You know, mm. you know you, you, it wasn't like, you know, a car you didn't have to learn the maintenance, but it cost a lot of money. Today, electronics are basically cheap, yeah. relatively speaking. But you can't really open the hood and see how all the stuff works. Yeah. Um, getting no, back to the no point. No idea how an iPhone works. <laughs> but that's the point of what I get into with the, with the kids, is just trying mm. to make them understand using this little gizmo, in case this little computer, how it actually works, how the, the wiring works, what a basic circuit is, so they at least understand some concepts Hmm. that they could take forward. And again, it's it's not necessarily become engineers, but then it's critical thinking. Try to be, what was the term you said when I was with my... Uh, a mindful mind, consumer. A mindful consumer. Yeah, that's. I think that's what, I, what the point is I'm trying to get across is that I wanted to be mindful consumers of this technology and possibly be creators. Hmm. And not necessarily creators in electronics and programming, but then take that a step further and be creative in doing their accounting, doing their... Um, sociology, doing the politics, doing whatever it is that yeah. they decide to do or what they're interested in. And I think there's a lovely bit of listening to you. There's a lovely bit of encouraging, encouraging the thinking of being um, almost self-sufficient and self-reliant. Because if if you are a mindful consumer of, of information from a piece of technology, but you also understand how it works, mm -hmm. so you can understand. I, I I want to do this or I want to fix this problem. I can bring this tool in to help me. You know, like like my analogy earlier on of of we, we had to learn how we had to demonstrate that we knew how to do long multiplication and long division before we were allowed to play with calculators. So you know, I, if if there isn't a calculator or, or the phone's not around, I can still add up, multiply, divide in my own head yeah. or with a pen and paper. And I, you know, I'm completely self sufficient in that. In that in, in that instance, and okay, that's one example. But you blow that out. No, it's a perfect example. 
And I think that's true about everything. You, know, it's, uh, you consume <clears throat> these devices, but not knowing what would happen. With, with it's all the things we take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think of my parents. Uh, you know, my, when I was born, my, my mother and father are relatively old, so they actually were parents of the World War II generation, my parents. And they were parents who went through the Depression. And the things that I took for granted relative to them, they were amazed. That, why am I taking it? You know, like, ooh, you turn on the faucet, water comes out. I yeah. Mean, and that, we take that for, really take that for granted. That's it, yeah. But, you know, when I, when I was growing up, I was taking that for granted, but they didn't take that for granted. That mm. was, wow, you, you turn this and hot, not just water comes out, you get hot or cold water coming out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I uh, interviewed, um, in, in, in an earlier episode, I interviewed uh, Richard Wally who is an Aboriginal elder, he didn't live in a house till he was 16. Hmm. And he said, you know, you come in and you can switch on and it gets warm and there's cold food. and there's- Yeah. Yeah. There's all these things we just take for granted. And and this generation of kids not only take that for granted, there's a whole new level of things to take for granted. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, using the, the example of just learning basic math, Mm. Yeah, you take for granted. I, I take for granted most people should be able to multiply some numbers and figure it out. But I, finding out some of these kids I speak, speak to, they can't do it. Um, they do it for school, so they memorize it to pass the test, but then they forget about it, which is true about most things with school. Yeah. You learn up to the point where you could pass the test because our schools are set up to learn to pass these standardized tests, Yeah. which is my other criticism of the current education system, yeah, yeah. is that – you talk to these kids, yes, they've studied and they did all these things to pass the test. But then after the test is over, you ask them, what did you really learn? Yeah. Or um, what did you do with this information? Yeah, what are you going to do with this information? Actually, I think there was another thing I read. I think they, they took all these graduates from who passed the SATs in the U.S., which is equivalent to the ATARs, I think, of mm-hmm. Australia. And they passed the tests. And, you know, or they passed their standardized tests. They graduated from high school, whatever it was. I've forgotten exactly. But they passed, you know, with B's, A's, B's. It's really good school, and they got A's and B's. And they decided to give them exactly the same test. No changes, exactly the same test six months later after they didn't – where it didn't matter. Yeah. You know, so they just said, well, we're just going to do this for fun. Yeah. yeah. Just, just as an experiment. Yeah. And what they noticed, all these A's and B's students, they took exactly the same tests, whatever, six months, eight months later. Yeah. And pr- practically all of them failed because it didn't matter at that point. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they memorized, you know, what year did this happen? History. What, you know, what political situation? But they didn't really learn in such a way that they got something out of it they could apply. Yeah. And it was ground in. Ground in. It's like you said, when you were going to school, you really got into it. Yeah. I'm seeing with the kids today, they're not really getting into it that way with this old paradigm of how the school system works. Mm. Because we're being bombarded with too much information now. I was really lucky in the fact that um, I, I, it didn't take me long to work out how I learned. And so if I got myself, if I found something that was exciting or interesting, I got myself in and I threw myself into it, then then it was really ground in and I could access that again on another day. Whereas... Yeah, there are other yeah, as opposed to surface learning, which is what you're talking about. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. that's uh, it's a shame. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, even when I was going to school, I remember you know you'd cram for the test, but then after the test was over, you forgot everything. 
So yeah. what, what uses it to begin with? It's <laughs> demonstrating that you can cram and pass and tap. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, the other thing I remember talking to a lot is, especially even today, I talk to university students. Yes, if you get to know what the professor likes to hear when you write the essay, let's say it's, you know, it's not math, something that's just hard, black and white science or something, you know, something that's esoteric. Well, if you learn what the person likes, which is actually a good skill in itself of learning. Yeah. <laughs> Find out what this person wants because that's really like learning what the customer wants in the in a marketing sense. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but the point is, is that you learned about how to actually pass the test, how to get around, work the system to get that A or whatever, to get that diploma, get that piece of paper. But how does it actually apply in the real world? You know, you're just basically learning how to pass the test. Yes. How to do what the instructor wanted you to know. Hmm. To please the instructor. Absolutely. What have you learned about yourself with your journey with Gizmo Cats and going into this? What did I learn? Um, I think I'm learning. I'm, I'm over 50 and I'm at the age where I'm learning in my life. I've done all the good things. <laughs> and maybe that's why I rail against sometimes I talk about education. Whereas I've done what I was told to do. You know, go to school, get this piece before, do this, do this. You know, and, and even coming to Australia, I've noticed, you know, to get the job, you have to have the cert something. I was a TAFE teacher. I got the cert for in mm. workplace and, uh, you know, training and assessment. And I did the whole thing so I could be a TAFE teacher. But I noticed that you get these certificates to do certain things and you have to get this piece of paper to do something. Um, but is it really true to myself? So what did I really, I'm, I'm in my journey of doing this, is trying to find what's true for me. And I, when I say that, and this is what I try to find, or when I, I think of the kids I work with, is what's true for them. It's not my truth. It's their truth. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> so what's in your and truth? I, and when I say what my truth is, is in the discovery, and, it, and it's an ongoing journey. It's not like sentence, nothing to me in my mind is ever sentence. Things keep moving. And especially with technology today, things are going to keep moving. Um, my truth is, is what I've been talking about in terms of wanting to get across to people or get across to the kids today. Learn how to learn. What's true for me is working with these gizmos. I mean, what it boils down to it, I think of myself now as, well, I'm just a really a big kid who just likes playing with gizmos with other kids. Whether it boils down the crucible of truth, what does it really boil down to? What did it, what would I spend my day if I never had to worry about money or never had to worry about paying, making groceries and, you know, taking care of my, what would I be doing? I'd just be playing games with kids with these little gizmos because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we boil it all down to that, but then, <clears throat> then the next step is the, well, what's the, what's the fun of doing this? What am I getting? What, what can I share with other people with doing it? And that's what I see with doing it with the kids is sharing that truth. So that's part of my journey in, in doing this. Yeah. I think it's like everything. It's every, like I said, I've, I've gone through this journey of growing up in San Francisco, growing up, going to Silicon Valley, getting burned out with that, doing these things, becoming a scuba instructor. I was a massage therapist. I was actually, a, uh, I did a bit of body-centered psychotherapy. Mm, I I've done a lot of different things. And, and part of that journey, <clears throat> it always comes back to myself of what is true or what would work for me. And um, I think there's a lot of people, I believe, again, this is my reality of how I see the world, um, I believe that there's a lot of people who just do what they're told to do and they end up 
following a course, but but not necessarily their own truth of where they want to be. Um, and I think that's the interesting thing about life is the fact that you, it's a journey where you're going to have to learn things. You try things out and experiment and play. Um, and, and it's a reflection of what I do with, with, with kids, I think. Well, it's just all about play. Hmm. Like you said, they, they like playing video games. Well, yeah. what's the interest in the video games? What's the step? What's, how's the, what's the next step beyond that? What's the next step? What, what else can you get out of that? What's, what's the correlate hmm. of things connected to this? You know, what did they learn when they talk to other kids and other people about this sort of thing? And as we know, there is actually no point to play. Hmm. It's just playing yeah. <laughs> and being present. Yeah. Being present in the moment, playing, enjoying yourself, feeling. But I but of course, what you get out of it is that they are end up, you end up learning something. Yeah. You learn something about yourself. You learn something about <clears throat> how you and the, and the world work with other people, how you and the world interact with other people. It's, it's, you know, gets down to the fact we are all connected in some way. Indeed. Hmm. So what does the next uh, two to three to four years look like for yourself and Gizmo Cats? Well, so, uh, I see it growing and uh, just bringing on more students and doing, if uh, bringing on other teachers or I should say, I should say teachers, teachers. Well, we should stop being as being teachers, but really facilitators of learning. Mm. So I, I want to have that distinction. There's teachers where you, where you envision this person up there in the lectern lecturing. To me, that's not the vision I see. I see it as, no, we facilitate other people to find their own truth. I just happen to use gizmos, yes. <laughs> electronic things. I think that, but that, I think that's the point of life is we <laughs> facilitate yourself to find out what's true for you, what what works for you, what what you enjoy doing, what, then and, and bring it to the practical world. That's what's necessary in industry. And even now, if you talk to businesses, a lot of times they're not necessarily yes. They look at the piece of paper you have now, but now, yeah. well, can you work with other people? Yep. Can you communicate with other people? Can you collaborate to make things? What sort of creative creativity you have? What not energy just, are you going to bring in? Yeah, what energy you're bringing in into this, <clears throat> not necessarily creating some technological device, but it could be how creative you are in the writing you're doing and how creative in whatever widgets or whatever the company's selling or building or making or service. What type of, what are you bringing to the service industry? What do you, you know, it's, it's more than just, being able to have that piece of paper that say, yes, I learned how to pass a test. Yeah. Because that's, again, what our education system is built on, is passing some standardized test or just tests in general, which may not may or may not necessarily have to do with something you're going to predicate your future. future. So, especially today, in today's future, because we don't know what technology is going to be. There's going to be some other disruptive technology. Getting back to the question, though, of what you say three or four years now, I don't know if I will be a part of it. I could, I do want to be a part of, there's going to be a disruptive technology in education. Something's going to, at some point, there's going to be, the cart's going to be overturned. Mm -hmm. Just like I use the example of uh, the technology of communication with the phone companies. $37, $37 billion industry down to a $2 billion industry, and it's relatively free now to talk to one another yeah. long distance. You're just playing for your internet connection. So, yeah. There's going to be something like, because if you think about the education <clears throat> industry, it is a billion dollar industry around the world. Billions and billions of dollars are being poured into it. 
but at some point there's going to be something I, I feel there's going to be something that'll be disruptive. That's going to be turning it over. Hmm. I just want to be a part of that. Hmm. So three or four years, I want to be a part of that disruptive technology. If that's applicable to adults as well as kids. Yeah. It is well, it's applicable to everyone. I don't think I, you know, I'm working with kids because it all started with my son and seeing how the education system and what the kids are doing, but I, it's applicable to adults. I mean, I, I, I do, I've done a few classes one-on-ones with some teachers. Um, basically there were relief teachers who come up to me and say, you know, it's hard for me to find some relief work as a relief teacher, but if I knew how to do programming, yeah, it's one more tick mark that says, Oh, here's someone who knows a little bit more technology could bring it into the school. So, um, it's not just kids. I see it with adults, all ages. It's not, it's going to be everyone. Hmm. They have to have some form of technology uh, in, in in their life. Um, programming skills. I mean, programming skills is just learning, really learning how to do procedural things. Hmm. And when I say I'm trying to generalize on the fact that it's, you know, learning C plus plus or learning HTML or learning JavaScripting and whatever language, they're all just other languages. But it's learning the way of thinking around that. Is going to be important. Yes. Getting back to the drivers, it's going to be the drivers who don't have to necessarily have the skill of driving a truck, but how do you actually program or communicate with this now self-driving vehicle? Mm. Those are the drivers who are going to take on the next level. So. Mm. Fascinating. If you could um, go back and have a chat with Oscar as he's leaving university, and give that chap a piece of advice. What would that be? <laughs> <laughs> the what if, the time travel yes. question. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know, it's <laughs> there's so many things I could think of where, uh, you know, if I, if I go back in time and say, knowing what I know now, would I do things the same way? It's a paradigm or the paradox in that I'd probably say, no, I wouldn't do any of those things. (laughs) But if I didn't do any of those things, I wouldn't be the same person I am now. So then I'd have a whole new (laughs) Exactly. Um, What would I say? Um, You might be in danger of overthinking this. (laughs) I'm overthinking it now. But I guess, uh, what would I do? Um, I'd probably tell them the, the simplest, boil it down to the crucible of truth again. I'd say just... Find what you like to do and do that. Do Find what you love to do and do that. Hmm. I don't care if it's technology. I might have been, you know, <laughs> yeah. one of the things I remember in, in, in when I started going to San Francisco University, I used to hang around the student union playing pool. I really got into playing billiards. Yeah. You know, maybe I'd be a billiard player to Adam. Yeah. <laughs> it was something I enjoyed doing. Yeah. You know, uh, Scuba, like I said, I became a scuba instructor because I enjoyed scuba diving at the time. That doesn't necessarily mean I was going to do that for the rest of my life. And I, you know, I didn't work as a scuba instructor in Hawaii for a while, but <laughs> it was something I enjoyed. So I would probably tell myself, find what you love to do and just do that. Find your truth and follow that truth. So yeah, that's what I'd tell myself. If I could go back to myself starting university just find your truth, what you want to find, find where you are. I think that's the most important thing. And probably the most important thing I'd, I'd like to impart to my son and my you know kids, everyone is just 
find your truth, find what, what's good for you and follow that. Superb. Oscar, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thanks. If anyone's listening, uh, if anyone's listening, if anyone's listening and wants to come and find you, where, where can they, how can they get in touch? Well, Facebook, just Facebook Gizmo Cats. Uh, that's where I actually keep posting all the pictures of my classes and things. So that's the current album. I have my website, gizmocats.com, which of course points to all the different events or different classes. Mm-hmm points to Facebook and that's usually where I, a lot of stuff I noticed <clears throat> with parents a lot of the parents are finding out about me because I, I, one of the things that I do ask the parents straight away is how did you hear about me uh, they're finding me through Fremantle's story because I do a lot of my work in, in Fremantle a lot of the Think Lab in Fremantle and um, uh, so yes gizmocats.com and Facebook gizmocats Instagram it's gizmo.com Cats, Gizmo, Gizmo.cats. Someone actually had Gizmo cats. Right. But even if you did that, you'd find me because I think a few of my pictures ended up in there as well on Instagram. So, yeah, Facebook, Gizmo cats. Super. Yeah. Oscar, thank you very much for your time today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, you're Cheers. very welcome. Thank you.